Today we have special guest Phoebe Dias to share information on her research paper regarding the politics of decolonization in the Belgian Congo. She is joining us from Tabor Academy, where she is currently a senior and my best friend. Welcome, Phoebe. Thank you so much for having me, Olivia. I'm super excited to share some of my findings from this project. Can you start by telling me a little bit about your paper? Like, what was the question you sought to answer? Of course. So my paper really centers around an analysis of the political leadership during the independence era of the Belgian Congo. So the way my paper starts is with kind of some um, contextualization of the colonial and pre-colonial era in the Congo. Um, So the question that I really focused on um, and what kind of drove the research that I did was how this colonial era impacted the era of independence and the beginning of a political awakening in a nation that it's, that had experienced so much oppression and so much terror and violence. Um, so this question kind of was one that formed as I went on with my research. I started by reading mostly just about this colonial the colonial era and all of the uh, social justice issues that kind of came up during this period. You know, the mass killings, the mass violence, um, and then as I continued my research, I saw that. After years of a really paternalistic Belgian goal to shut down any sort of political identity within the Congo, um, yet still the Congolese people were able to rally around their own political parties and political ideology that emerged as they sought um, their independence and worked to break free from the oppressive colonialism that they had lived under for so long. So my main research question and what I went on to analyze in the paper was how what the influence of the Belgian system looked like on the independence era regarding the political leadership. And I think this question was a really good one for me to focus on because it allowed me to to kind of broaden my research both to study this colonial era, which was something that was so interesting to see how kind of absolutely the Belgians were able to shut off the Congo from the outside world and really prevent any sort of development within that nation by themselves. Um, But also to study the way the Congolese people were able to overcome that and seek a political identity and seek their own independence as a nation. Um, Yet, as history went on, they really failed in this because of the amount of oppression that they had went under and the amount of education that they lacked. So it was cool to be able to balance these two sides of history and bring together their story. Um, And I tried to see kind of a novel perspective on this because a lot of the sources that I read either focused on the way King Leopold and the Belgian administration shut down the Congo and then there were others, you know, more recent history. But um, I sought to kind of bring these two stories together uh, to answer this question. For our audience, this is a topic that many don't know extensively about. So can you just share a little bit about the background of your paper, what people may or may not know? Of course. um, That's actually a great question. So when I went into my research, there really wasn't a lot that I knew about the topic at all. Um, So I was kind of looking from that outside perspective of knowing only little bits of information. You know, I knew that there had been a terrible, violent reign of terror, but I didn't know any of the details. So a lot of what I uncovered was the brutality that occurred under King Leopold's rule. So King Leopold of Belgium took the Congo as kind of his personal property from 1890 to 1908. Um, And in these kind of almost two decades, 
some of the most, you know, there were, this number is disputed by historians, but approximately 10 million people were killed. Um, and a lot of this violence stemmed from an economic goal. So the Congo was super prosperous in terms of um, rubber vines and elephant population to be hunted for ivory. So as these two products became super popular in the global market, King Leopold set these production quotas for different villages and groups. Um, and any village that did not meet their quota saw intense violence, whether it be hands chopped off, just murder, the rape of women, or women were kidnapped until quotas were met. Um, and a lot of this was played out by white Belgians who were living in the Congo at that time. But apart from these officers who were living there and kind of acting out on this violence, most of the Belgian administration of the Congo all happened remotely. So the Congo was being managed from Brussels with no influence from the Congolese people. It was just Belgians making decisions on this um, kind of piece of land that they owned. Um, and then once some of this brutality became more public knowledge, the Congo was officially annexed as a Belgian colony in 1908, and it remained such until 1960. So the goal of making it a colony was to make it more regulated, a little bit better management of this colony. Um, but in reality, most of the policies and most of the practices from Leopold's era were maintained throughout the colonial era. Um, and there are different books and whole books where the thesis is the Belgian Congo as a colony wasn't different from Leopold's Congo Free State. Um, so a lot of the same ideology of keeping the Congolese shut down from any politics and managing most of it from Belgium was maintained, as well as a lot of the same economic goals. So given the prosperous nature of the Congo, a lot of foreign concession companies sought land in the Congo, so they would uh, rent out land and then could exploit it as they wished. Um, and most of this happened because the Belgians lacked the resource to exploit it by themselves, so they just rented it out to these concession companies, um, which served as a great economic opportunity for the Belgians and for these companies. Um, but the Congolese people were forced to work and saw none of the economic benefits of this work. I think in terms of public knowledge of this historical background, um, I think people have some idea of the brutality and the violence that happened there, but maybe not the extent, um, and definitely not, you know, the economic situation that was happening there where the Congolese people lost any sort of economic opportunity and, you know, really alongside with that, a big loss of their culture as they were limited in so many ways and kind of held to this Belgian standard. So when it came time for their independence, they had been limited so much. Um, so the political leadership that emerged really had a lot of different opinions on how to better the Congolese experience because the people had lived under such oppression. Central to your paper was an analysis of the political leadership you're talking about. Can you talk to us about some of these leaders? So the two leaders I focused on most were Patrice Lumumba and Moise Chombe. So these two leaders served as sort of opposite sides of the spectrum of political ideology in terms of the independence movement. So Moi Chambe was a regional leader from the Katanga region. The Katanga region was well known as being the most economically prosperous region in the Congo. Uh, it's where all the mineral reserves were, and it's where most of the concession companies had land. And most of his goals for independence were maintaining the economic opportunity for his region. 
So his vision for independence was sort of a Belgio-Congolese community in which the concession companies maintained their investments in the Congolese um, land in the Katanga region so that the Katanga could continue to um, have this economic opportunity and then hopefully increase the amount of Congolese benefit from these foreign concession companies. Um, And he also worked closely with these concession companies as he had a lot of kind of family ties to these companies. His father was one of the only Congolese millionaires to ever, you know, kind of come out and enter the global business. So his kind of vision for independence was looking out for his own relationships and kind of benefiting those people that he had these relationships with, but also his constituents in the Katanga who saw the economic potential of their region and sought to kind of promote themselves as having this potential and seeking the best economic opportunity that they could rather than kind of spreading the wealth throughout the Congolese region, which is what the nationalist leaders such as Lumumba wanted to do. Um, Having lived under the kind of Belgian oppressive unit, Lumumba was seeking a way better experience for all the Congolese people, and he thought that was best done by unifying the Congo and really embracing this nationalist identity so that not only were the economic potential of the Congo spread out equally, um, but also kind of a better way of living for all of the, pe- the people by cutting off the relationship with the Belgian administration, which had offered them such terror and oppression, and seeking to kind of self-regulate themselves and do what they f- saw best for the Congolese people. Um, they sought to put an end to any, socially, to any sort of racism or tribal division within the nation and kind of come together as an independent nation as they look to establish themselves as their own nation. So Lumumba was really good at rallying the Congolese people and kind of bringing them together under this common goal of independence and a better life. Um, So the Congolese people responded really well to a lot of the speeches he gave and a lot of the writings that he published. However, given the global context of the Cold War and the United States and the United Nations fear of kind of the spread of communism, Lumumba's nationalist views and the beginning of some of his relationships with the Soviet Union were very frightening. So the United States and the United Nations, um, and a few other nations as well, really saw Lumumba as a threat and didn't feel comfortable with him leading such a key nation given the location of the Congo and Central Africa. So Lumumba was on a list by several nations of, you know, kind of terminating his power and looking to assassinate him. So Lumumba ended up being arrested and then later assassinated um, because so many of the Western powers saw him as a threat to this to democracy. Um, and instead, they put into power a man named Mobutu, who they saw as a better representation of Western interests and thought that, you know, kind of the ideal of democracy and other Western interests, as well as economic motivations, would be better protected. Um, Instead, Mobutu actually ended up being a dictator who ruled over the Congo for over three decades. Um, And some compare a lot of the policies he practiced in the Congo to be just as bad as those King Leopold had practiced half a century before. So really, um, a big part of my analysis was how, though Patrice Lumumba and Moïse Chambé weren't perfect leaders and they lacked a lot of the education and experience that political leaders generally have, Um, I found in a lot of my research that what they were doing was looking out for their constituents. 
Um, and though Moishombe is kind of regarded as sort of a villain in terms of Congolese nationalism, what he was looking out for was protecting the, inter the interests of the region he represented. Um, and while Lumumba is seen as, you know, a threat to democracy and kind of a villain to the Western nations, what he was looking to do was promote his own nation, which had been victimized for so long. Um, but instead of these leaders who had the Congolese interests in mind, um, it was another man put into power who was, you know, almost a tool of the Western nations. Complexity of these leadership dynamics. Were there any findings from your research that surprised you? I think kind of the biggest thing that surprised me in terms of this leadership was the ability of the Congolese people to rally around a political identity so soon after they had been shut off from any sort of political mindset for so long. Um, you know, any sort of political parties or any of that was not allowed under the Belgian administration, particularly under King Leopold. Um, but as they got to the middle of the 20th century and sought their independence as other African nations around them did, um, they were able to form so many political parties, you know, almost to a fault. Um, but so many leaders emerged and so large of an ideological spectrum kind of appeared among the Congolese people. Um, and while nationalism was the most popular one that kind of ruled over, there was such a strong identity that formed within that, which wasn't possible, you know, 10 years before, um, but they still were able to, to kind of come together around that central idea. So I think that's almost an impressive feat to form something so quickly, even if it was flawed, even if it wasn't as effective as, you know, Western leaders could have been, um, they were able to come together and form an identity pretty quickly. Thank you so much. This has been so interesting. Of course. Um, it's really great to talk about it after kind of doing so much research on this topic. It's really cool to kind of talk about it and look at it from this outside perspective. So much for coming on the show. It's really been a blast to get to talk to you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um, hope to see you again soon. Thank you.